United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky, and we got another great show as we get through this pandemic together. I hope all of you are staying safe. Last week, it was the big redhead, Alexi Lalas, one of the icons of the men's game. This week, it's Carla Overback, the captain of that 1999 U.S. Women's World Cup team. She won two World Cups. She won a gold medal. She won four national championships in North Carolina, and she won a professional title with the Carolina Courage in the then-named WUSA. After her, another powerful woman, Ashley Fontes, Comber. She is a vice president on the board of United Soccer Coaches. She played at Florida State. She's done so much for the growth of the game. We discover that Fontes is actually Fonts. If you're Wayne Fonts, her uncle, the former coach of the Detroit Lions, we had a good laugh about that. She is on the show. And this week we start meeting members of the 30 under 30 class that we were able to see in Baltimore. We kick it off with Sean Addison and Kristen Cox. That's our show. And it's starts with Carla Overbeck after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com slash NSCAA1. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I am Dean Linky, and as I told you just like last week, we have a massive show. A week ago was Alexi Lawless this week. I am so pleased and honored to be joined by Carla Overback, one of the legends of the game. She was a captain on that 1999 World Cup team that captured the fancy of all Americans. She was also on the 91 World Cup team, the original World Cup. She won four, count them, four national championships at North Carolina, 86, 87, 88, 89. She won the gold medal in the 96 Olympics. And now for 28 years, which is just amazing, she has been an assistant coach at Duke just down the road, obviously, from North Carolina. 28 incredible years producing all kinds of great players, but also great people because if you meet Carla, you know that she is a born leader, one that leads by example, doesn't really seek the limelight, just goes about her business. And, Carla, having known you since the late 80s when I first met you out in Santa Barbara with the U.S. national team and with Anson Dorrance and Wendy and me and the whole gang, it's kind of crazy that we now live just a couple miles away. But I want to start with that because you've had all this success. You've seen some of the other teammates go on and kind of, I don't want to say seek the limelight, but have the limelight, that's never been that important to you, has it? No, it really hasn't. And, you know, I was fortunate growing up in Dallas, Texas, to have great role models in soccer and just in life. And um, I love coaching at Duke. Obviously, I've been there. This will be my 28th fall. And I feel like I have, you know, I want to give back to the game that I got so much out of. And I feel like I have, you know, some important lessons for the young ladies at Duke to learn. Well, let's go down memory road because that's what we're doing right now during this unprecedented time as we all deal with COVID. And I do kind of want to get your inspirational message, not only to your Duke players, but to everybody that looks up to you. And so many people do, Carla, particularly with the way you carry yourself. But remind us, so you're in Dallas. How did North Carolina, how did Anson, how did they find you? Um, I was on the North Texas ODP team. We came to, like, regional camp back then. ODP was pretty big, and, and Anson coached the North Carolina state team. And so I think he saw me there and maybe he liked what he saw and then kind of started, the you know, watching me throughout my career and recruited me from there. So when you came to North Carolina, when did the competitive cauldron and this fiery competition start? Was that during your time? Yes. Um, you know, I was always I, – I was the youngest of four kids, and so I was pretty competitive growing up with them. And then when I got to North Carolina, um, they, you know, they kind of had the, you know, the different exercises and drills and would, would keep it – like they would mark who was on the top of the list and who was at the bottom of the list. And so you never want to your, see your name at the bottom of the list. And so 
um, just worked really hard to, to not be at the bottom. You wanted to be on the top. Look, I'm sure your North Texas team was pretty good, but to go those entire four years and uh, remain undefeated and win four national championships, just utter domination. What is it like being in the middle of that kind of dynasty? You know, it was just we just played because we loved the sport, and obviously I had made lots of great friends at North Carolina. Um, you know, it taught me to be competitive, continue to be competitive, and um, just it, it was just a lot of fun, and we really enjoyed what we did and had a good time doing it. And fortunately, we were we were pretty good. Well, pretty good, and really half the team then went on to be part of that '91 team. So here you go, you win those four titles again, worth repeating: '86, '87, '88, '89. And then Anson is charged with putting this team together. That's when I first met you. It was in '89 out in Santa Barbara. And you had Michelle Akers and Karen Jennings and April Heinrichs, and then you had the youngsters like you and Mia and Christine Lilly and Julie Foudy, and then more Tar Heels and Lori Henry and Linda Hamilton. When did you know that this was going to be, even in your own sense, while you didn't have the ticker tape parade like they have now, but when did you know that this is going to be pretty cool competing for a world championship? You know, I think back then we were pretty naive because not a lot of people attended our games here in the United States. A lot of people didn't even know we had a national team. Um, we go over there to China and win, and we come back, and there wasn't a lot of fanfare like there is now. And so we did it because we truly loved the game. We enjoyed playing with our friends. Um, I think once we realized that, um, you know, our team could compete at a very high level on the international stage, um, that's when it kind of hit us. Uh, moving forward into the Olympics and then the, the following World Cups, but it was it was quite an experience. And like I said, we'd never played in front of eighty thousand people in China before, and so um, you know that kind of jump started sort of our team and um, what we were to do in the future. You rarely ever lost, but what do you remember about not winning the '95 World Cup, Carla? Oh, I remember a lot about not winning. <laughs> it was it was not. A fun experience for sure. Like, I love to win, obviously. I hate to lose. Um, but I think doing that and going through that kind of made us realize that what we needed to do to win the Olympics in 96. And so we, you know, we kind of restructured our team. We went to a flat back three instead of two marking backs and a sweeper and um, just kind of studied the other countries' games and how they played and tried to put that into our style a little bit. Okay, so somewhere in there, there's two things that happened, and one is you establish yourself as a leader of the team, being named captain, and two, you epitomize the definition of a soccer mom because you had a son prior to the 99 World Cup. So two-part question, when were you named a captain? And I know Julie Foudy was also like a co-captain, but when did that happen, and what is it about your DNA or your makeup that said that you wanted that role? And then fill in the blanks on when you had your first child and how you made all that work. Right. I'm not, I don't remember the year it happened, but um, obviously being the captain of that team is quite an honor because you have all these amazing players, um, superstars, and um, to be chosen as the captain of that team, um, you know, I took a lot of pride in that. And, uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years and I had my son um, and, you know, bringing him with you on all the trips and, you know, it was incredible because there were so many players that would help out and, um, you know, other countries are packing their bags, and Joy and I have our packing plays and extra food for the kids, and because you never know what the what the food is going to be like in other countries, and so, um, you know, it it kind of made light of our situation a little bit. I know we all didn't take ourselves too seriously, and we had the kids along. It just made it a lot more fun, you know. Um, you come back from a tough training session and maybe didn't do so well, and then. You have a little Jackson running up to me, and it's like nothing, you know, there's nothing better than that in the world. And so it kind of made you forget about the rigors of and the grind of soccer. Like I said, I think having the kids along with our team was helpful. And, you know, what better people to be around your son and Joy's kids than all those national team members. I mean, great role models, great people, obviously great athletes. 
And so I was pretty lucky that we were able to bring our children along with us on the road. You were then, you are now one of the most fit people I've ever met. What do you remember about the rigors of having a baby and then getting back out on the field and then playing such a key role in front of thousands and thousands of people in the 99 World Cup? I guess my question is, how hard was it to, to have a baby and get back out there and get matched fit? You know, it was it was hard for sure because throughout the pregnancy, obviously you have to stay as fit as you can. Unfortunately, I had a doctor that was, pretty progressive and um, just didn't, you know, I could do everything I wanted. I couldn't get my heart rate up too much, and I just had to make sure I drank a lot of water and didn't get dehydrated. So um, it was just, you know, it was a great experience. Um, you don't realize what you can do um, after you have kids, and I thought, you know, am I going to be able to get back to this level that I was before? And fortunately, I was, I think, because I stayed so fit throughout my pregnancy. And, you know, I, I was never the best or most skilled, but I tried to be one of the fittest players on the team, and I think that helped me in my role. Because we are being reflective, we don't really have a choice. As we're not really allowed to go anywhere or do anything. We are looking back at great moments, whether it's the last dance with Michael Jordan, another iconic Tar Heel, or if it's the 99 World Cup, Randy rips off her shirt, you guys win the championship, the TV audiences were phenomenal, the audience at the Rose Bowl were phenomenal. When you look back on that 99 capper, what do you have to say about that incredible movement? You know, I think just um, so many people, there were so many naysayers, like, you know, don't play in the big stadiums, you guys won't fill it. Um, and And so, you know, once we got to the final, kind of all the hard work had been done and we could relax a little bit. And then, you know, we're like, let's just play. And uh, fortunately, we won. It was a tough game against China. And, um, you know, the current players now talk about how they were kids and we were their role models growing up. And so um, it's incredible what they're doing and how they kind of – we pass the baton to them and, and the team is continuing to win. Um, they play attractive soccer. They're great people. They're great role models. And, you know, that, that team is really fun to watch. It's never easy to step away from the game that you love, a game that uh, has given you so much fame and, and opened so many doors. What do you remember about uh, deciding when it was time for you to no longer play for the U.S. national team? <laughs> oh, I knew it was time. <laughs> um, you know, I, I had a family. I wanted more kids. I had done it for 13 years. And um, I, didn't, I don't really miss the game so much, but it was the, my friends and the people that I was involved with. That's what was hard, that you didn't continue to see them on a daily basis. Um, but, you know, I was, I was ready to move on and get to the next chapter of my life and get back to work at Duke. So um, I, for 13 years I thought I had been on that team enough, and it was time for some of the young ones to take over. Well, you did join one more team, though. You joined the original Carolina Courage, and, of course, because you're on the team, somehow you won another national championship in that second year, and you actually scored a goal pregnant with child. I know I bring it up all the time, but beating <laughs> Tom Stone in Atlanta. Carson, you were how, how pregnant were you when you scored that goal? So I was like three and a half months pregnant. It's incredible, and I'm sure you guys can still share that story forever, right? She's a junior in high school now, right? Oh, yeah, she cracks up. Every time we see Tommy Stone, he brings it up and tells her that, you know, she was the reason and, and the game shouldn't have counted because we had an extra person on the field. And so she just laughs and thinks it's hilarious. All right, we're going to end with 28 years at Duke. Pretty amazing, most of them with Robbie Church, one of the all-time great people of soccer. Here you are. You won four national championships at North Carolina. When you say North Carolina and Duke together, it's like saying Ohio State and Michigan. They are <laughs> rivals, but you clearly love your time at Duke. That's a long time. What makes being at Duke so special for you, Carla? You know, it's it's a great university, um, and they put up with me when I was one of the assistants, you know, when I was still playing on the national team. And so every time I would come back, I'd still have my job, and I was very thankful for them for that. And, um, you know, they're, they're great people. It's an unbelievable school. Um, and fortunately, you know, I worked for Bill Hempen back then, Robbie Church right now. And, you know, Robbie is one of the, the best bosses that anyone could ask for. And, um, you know, he lets me have as much or little input as I want and trust me to, to help coach the team. Not looking for a detailed answer on this one, but I can't let you go without asking you about the equal pay 
the U.S. women's national team. A little bit of a setback, although even Alexi Lalas last week said, don't worry, they're still going to get paid. They're going to get what they deserve. But what is your take on that entire lawsuit and everything that's going on around equal pay? Yeah, you know, um, if if the funds and the revenue coming in um, – is the same, then I feel like they, you know, they should get paid equally. Um, I feel like if the women's team makes as much as the men's team, they should get that benefit. But um, I'm proud of them and what they stand for and what they continue to fight for. You know, back when I was playing, it was um, we didn't want to get middle seats and we wanted kind of some bagels after practice and we wanted insurance. And um, so it's changed a lot. Um, I think you know, they deserve everything they get because the way they carry themselves and the way they play and they continue to win. And so um, I'm proud that they're they're fighting for what they think is right. Finally, we mentioned it earlier. This is an unprecedented time. You've got two children, Jackson, who actually played quite a bit of basketball with my son, Ben, which I loved every moment of. And then you've got a big-time volleyball player, Carson. Is she playing some other sports too, Carla? She did play soccer, but she had to. She gave that up when she got to high school because it was just too much. Okay, so volleyball still pretty heavy focus? Yeah, she's actually going to play at North Carolina. Oh, no way. Okay, I'll probably call her games. I do a ton of volleyball games for, for North Carolina. That will be awesome, so I look forward to that. Oh, great. Congratulations. Yeah, on that news. But but with that, I'm sure you're communicating on a regular basis with your athletes at Duke, and I'm sure you're also, as you said, dealing with your kids, although I like what you said before we went on the air. Carson does everything on her own, so you don't have to worry. That is, that's pretty cool. But what is your message to your players and maybe even to all the young coaches and young women that um, are going to miss out on some – some playing time. We don't even know what's going to happen, obviously, in the fall. There's still a lot of trepidation on whether even women's college soccer will be back. And we're going to lose some momentum for NWSL, which the attendances were incredible after the World Cup. What is the Carla Overbeck uh, words of inspiration to all of these young girls and coaches that are, are having to sit out right now? I mean, it's unbelievable how just these times of there, it is unprecedented. And this global pandemic that we're in, you know, I just keep keep the faith that it's it's going to happen, your season's going to happen, and we just, you know, try to impress upon our players is continue to stay fit and do as much as you can on your own. And um, because, of, you know, it's going to come back. The pro league's going to come back. Women's soccer is going to come back. It's just a, it's too good of a product for it to go away after this. And so just continue to reiterate that, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it will be back in some capacity and just, Stay positive and continue to, to play and, and do things on your own. Carla, great to be with you. It is indeed a small world meeting you out in Santa Barbara and now living just a few miles away. And you got to see me as a nut job dad for my son as a basketball dad as well. Oh, so, those were great good. times, man. <laughs> you know, it's so crazy. We actually ran into Albert yesterday out on the golf course. And uh, that connection will always be there, right, between AAU and high school, right, for your kids? Absolutely. Absolutely. Those were some great times. Indeed. Carla Overbeck, one of the legends of the game, iconic, longtime coach at Duke and kicking off our show. Carla, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Yeah, Dean, thanks for having me. Anytime. Always a pleasure. So great to be connected to Carla Overbeck in so many ways. You talk about a woman who carried herself with class and carried herself with dignity. It is definitely Carla Overback. Another powerful woman, Ashley Fontes Comber. She is a vice president on the board for United Soccer Coaches. That means in a few years she'll be president of United Soccer Coaches. She played collegially at Florida State. And as we'll discover, her uncle is Wayne Fonts. Really, I guess Wayne Fontes, but I grew up outside of Detroit. Big Lions fan. Wayne Fonts was the head coach. Ashley clears it up that really it's supposed to be Fontes, Portuguese, but they just went with Fonts because that's all everybody would say. That's pretty cool. Everything about her is pretty cool. Ashley Fontes Comber. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, 
an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap Big Show. As we said, we just heard from the legendary Carla Overback. Never lost a game in college. Of course, she won a World Cup in 91, won it in 99, won a gold medal in the Olympics, won a WSA title. She's a winner now in her 28th year as an assistant coach at Duke just down the road from UNC Chapel Hill. I'm so pleased to have another powerful woman join me, Ashley Fontes Comber. She is a VP for United Soccer Coaches, and that means she'll be El Presidente in 2022 for United Soccer Coaches. I look forward to her reign. Hopefully she won't fire me as the voice of the podcast and <laughs> the banquet and those kind of things. Ashley, thanks for being on the program. <laughs> thanks for having me, Dean. Yeah, I got to meet you when you were running, but you do a lot of great things. You played at Florida State and actually played against Abby Wambach. You played for Patrick Baker, who's a good friend of mine. I love that tie-in. You spent a ton of time in the D.C. area where you're still a strategic consultant for Metro United right there in the D.C. metro area. And then you're an at-large member for the newly created Girls Academy with the demise of U.S. soccer. we got a ton to cover. But first off, I just got done talking to Carla Overback. She's so humble, never lost a game in college, won the World Cup not once but twice, won the Olympics, didn't seek the limelight. Uh, you talk about somebody that you can look up to. She's got to be one of them, right? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, when you when you think about when I was growing up, you know, there wasn't a lot of, I mean, there wasn't any social media, and then to find women's soccer being played on TV was rare. Uh, but one of the names I did know was Carla Overbeck. She was a, a heck of a defender, and that that's the position that I played, um, and I definitely caught her in the um, in the Olympics. So right when she was at her prime, that's when I was, you know, ramping up to to really get interested in and playing in college and really aspiring to be a, a great athlete like, like she did. What made you pick Florida State and Patrick Baker? <laughs> it's an interesting story. So I, I like to, you know, you go back and you, you look at yourself and you're like, wow, how was I so young and just so, like, out of it sometimes, right? So I thought I knew it all when I was 18. But now looking back, I mean, I – I was very lucky. They had recruited me. I went out for a visit. I loved it, but all my friends were going to Michigan State and University of Michigan. And uh, I kind of folded, and I said, you know, I'm just going to commit and go to Michigan State. And I, unfortunately, I did commit to Michigan State verbally. And that was probably just around Thanksgiving time. And as the months went on, I just I didn't feel good about it. And one of my friends had told me that – it was just a verbal commitment, so I could decommit. And I'm like, you know, I don't know if that's true. So we looked it up. My dad was so irritated. He's like, you can't go back on your word. You know, that's all you have. I'm like, I'm going to – it's the biggest decision of my life at that point. I can't make the wrong decision. So he said, well, if you can – if Forest State still has money for you, then you can go. So I called I called Coach Baker. I sent him a fax because that's how you communicated back then. <laughs> and I just – I said, look, I'm like, my heart is at Florida State. I want to play in the best conference in the country. I want to play against UNC. I want to play – then against, you know, the rivals, UF with Abby Wambach, and I wanted to play against the best and help build a program. And sure enough, you know, I got very, very lucky that he was still able to offer me a scholarship, and then I had to, you know, do the heart-wrenching thing and turn around and, and tell Michigan State I had, I had made a mistake. So that's the, the not-too-rosy story of getting <laughs> to Florida State. we got to get into that Michigan connection because I do have a bone to pick with you that I stress <laughs> with you at the convention because I do this interview with you, and so I go up right outside of Toledo. I'm this massive Tigers and Bad Boys fan, and I was a Lions fan, although, albeit, it was one of those that just kind of teased you a little bit, but 
the good years were with what we called Wayne Fonts and Barry Sanders. <laughs> and here you are, Ashley Fontes, Comber, and we're backstage, and everybody says, how do you say your name? And, and I said, it's Ashley Fontes Comer. They said, well, she's related to Wayne Fonts. And I'm like, well, that's Fonts because it's Wayne Fonts. But Wayne Fonts, I mean, you talk about a guy, I mean, he was like Fred Flintstone and all these good things. I mean, the big personality. People loved him in Detroit. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. So when I was younger, it was I didn't want – the association. It was hard growing up that way. You know, my dad was also a coach for the Detroit Lions, and having my uncle um, be the head coach, you know, it when the Lions are doing good, it's great. You know, when they weren't doing good, I mean, people are brutal. The media was brutal. Kids are brutal. But now, you know, that I'm I'm pushing 40, it's a lot easier to, to look back and look at what a, a cool experience it was and to really have phenomenal coaches to look up to. I mean, you look at, you know, my uncle Wayne and he was known to be a player's coach. I mean, he poured his heart and soul into those players in the best interest of those players. And then the same with my, you know, my own father, just dedicating his life to his craft and just being so phenomenal at developing players and, and continuing to to develop themselves as, as coaches. So um, definitely, a, a, you know, in hindsight, looking back, a very – unique experience and then of course you know knowing some of the players and you know Barry Sanders and and um you know Lomas Brown back in the day I mean it was it was cool it was unique yeah big Lomas yeah so you remember meeting those players and hanging out with them and stuff Ashley oh yeah I mean Lomas Brown lived down the street from us um Barry Sanders lived next to one of my really good friends but my dad would always take us to uh football practices you know during um preseason camp and stuff, so we'd always be out there on the sidelines. And the players are great. I mean, um, just like you see in, you know, women's soccer, they stay after, they talk to the kids, and they really engage the fans. So it was, it was okay. really cool. So explain to me why we always knew Wayne as Wayne Fonts, because that's what they called him in the media, right? And he was right. very much, I think, I'd call him a media darling. You're right. When, the, when they were struggling, they would get on him and, you know, question whether he was the right guy, but when they were rolling, people loved him. Yeah, I know. I, I bet they love him even more now because all I hear about is how, you know, that was those are the glory days now. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, so why did he go with Fonts and, and, and you went with Fontes? Yeah. Walk me through that. So the story that I have is that it was simply you got tired of correcting the media, so they kept saying Fonts, so then it just went with it. Um, I have always been raised as Fontes. I mean, the poor, it is a Portuguese name. His, uh, his father's from Portugal. His mother's family's from Portugal. And it's, uh, it's Fontes. So, um, we've always stayed with Fontes. The only time I've ever heard my dad say Fonts is if we needed a better reservation at a restaurant. He would call on the phone and say he's Coach Fonts. <laughs> I guess that keeps us out now, but yeah. It's half the family. They're, you know, they're Fonts, and the other half were Fontes. I got it. All right. And so your dad was what What position did he coach for the Detroit Lions? He was a defensive backs coach for the Lions. Okay. And his name is? John Fontes. John Fontes. And then his brother is Wayne Fontes, we'll call him, or, or Wayne Fontes. Right. And where are those two now? So my dad is retired, uh, living up in Virginia, northern Virginia, and um my uncle is living with his wife down in Tampa, right by his uh, grandkids. Not only did you drop that out, you dropped the Portuguese thing out, and I've been married 25 <laughs> years to a Portuguese woman named Pavao, who oh. is famous. Her dad grew up, yeah, her dad grew up in Fall River, and she grew up in Brazil, so that would have been another thing to talk about. Yeah. I, I must be a poor interviewer, actually, or, or something. No. <laughs> no, I think I just keep that info close. But, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that is awesome. Okay, so after Florida State, then what happened? You know, again, it's funny how things change. So my one of my teammates and I were approached by a scout, to, for an Italian scout, to go play overseas. And we're like, what are you talking about? You know, there was, um, I think the, at that time, the Pro League had folded here. We've heard of the, you know, the W League with USL. Um, and then they're, they're asking us to go overseas. It just didn't make sense. It sounded kind of creepy, you know, because that just wasn't the norm. 
back then. Um, so hung up my boots and uh, met this guy who I'm now currently married to, and we moved up to northern Virginia. I did a, a stint with a, an ABA expansion team, American Basketball Association um, basketball team was a startup. That was pretty cool. You know, jumped over to Washington Wizards and Mystics. Um, and while I was there in Northern Virginia, I started coaching and getting, you know, all my licensing done. Um, so coached up there for, gosh, like seven years at Loudoun Soccer. Then uh, started up a, a high school program at Tuscarora High School. Um, got involved with the soccer wire, and that that led me into DC United Women. So now I went from coaching to the front office side, and um, then helped run get the the Washington Spirit started, and ended up as the COO there, um, which is another unique experience. And then from there, you know, off to my next challenge, I'm down here at Florida State working on my uh, dissertation to get my doctorate. Wow, and your doctorate will be in what field? So it'll be in sport management, and I'm focusing on um, strategic management, specifically in uh, professional sports leagues for startups. How about that? That is outstanding. So then along the way, somebody, some little birdie said, hey, you need to run for United Soccer Coaches. Who was your inspiration there? (laughs) Right. Right. So honestly, you know, the pathway isn't paved. Right, um, especially I know you hear this all the time, especially for females. I think it's you know they're starting to be little pe- you know little pebbles being thrown here and there to say hey you can go this way that way, but there's not a clear cut way, right? So when I was with the Spirit, um, I had the good fortune of meeting Louise Waxler, and. I didn't realize how well known and everything that she, I was just unaware of everything that she's done. Um, so I started looking her up. I'm like, well, let me, you know, like the owner at the time was always telling me, he's like, you need a mentor, you need a mentor. Um, so I started looking her up, and I'm like, wow, she's done this and that. I, I think that's great. And I also saw on on there that she had run, or she was president of United States Poetry. And I had actually, I started my licensing process with them back in, when they were in the SCAA, and that must have been in 2005, maybe. Um, and that was my introduction. And I absolutely loved the education program. Not just for learning soccer, but more so for the people that I would run across and those relationships that we would build and just the the culture and environment that um, United Soccer Coaches had created, and that was something that just developed an intense loyalty, you know, for me to them. Um, so when I started exploring, like, how how do I get more involved with things? Um, I really want to help. I feel like now I'm at that stage in my career that I want to give back more. How can I help more people? Um, and then when I put that together with, um, trying to get involved with some of the advocacy groups, and then the following year, uh, you know, seeing, noticing that Louise had had been a president, I'm like, well, maybe let me just throw my my hat in the ring there. And again, I just, for whatever reason, had the good fortune that they accepted the the nomination and um, the members elected me. So I, I think it's definitely an an honor and an absolute privilege to to sit on the board and try to help you know, in, in the best way I can. What's been the best part about being part of the board now, and what's been the most challenging part, Ashley? Uh, I think the best part, I love, I mean, it's funny. I'm, I would say I'm like an extra, an, an extrovert, but an introvert at the same time. I love people. Um, so I think that's been the fun part is getting to know these people on the board that have very, you know, everyone has a different perspective, different walk of life. Um, I love learning from them as well as, you know, Lynn. Uh, I love interacting with our advocacy groups. So just to access the people and hearing their stories um, and trying to help them, that is definitely the best part. Uh, the most challenging part is always just trying to make sure that your best is the best that the association needs, right? I don't know if that makes sense, but... You always, you know, you always come in prepared. You feel like you're going to do your best job. Um, 
but making sure that that pans out with a fantastic outcome for the membership, for the association, for the good of the game, and having a, a full full lens of, of perspectives on. Finally, as we are dealing with this pandemic and we're hoping that uh, we can get back out there and play soccer and watch soccer and get the NWSL rolling again and get MLS mm-hmm. and USL Championship and definitely get women's college soccer and men's college soccer going and knowing that you've got a 13-year-old daughter and 11-year-old son. Mm-hmm. Any final words of inspiration for all of us as we deal with this tough time? It's a very unfortunate, sad situation, you know, especially to see how bad, badly it's affecting so many. We're fortunate here that it, we've been able to keep, our, you know, our family in a bubble and don't really remain, uh, don't really feel the, the impacts too bad. I think the inspiration I have is, or words of wisdom, it, we're always so busy, right? If we, if we take COVID out of this um, and try to find some silver lining in it, the way our culture is set up is to always be more, to always be better, to always want more, get more, right? And as much as I love sports, we have our kids in stuff nonstop or we're in things nonstop. So you're never slowing down to enjoy the the valuable moment. So I would say while this is going on, the silver lining is, you know, family time. Share, you know, have more conversations, have have meals with your kids, go out and have some fun with your kids in the yard, you know, play some games, play some cards because as soon as it's hit then, you know, this clears up and we're able to transition back to some sort of normalcy and the kids get back into competitive play. It's, you know, you get back from your your job, whatever that may be, and, you know, from 4 to 10, you are running around everywhere to get kids in, you know, three different places, two different times. I mean, it's insane. Um, and you're going to wish, I think most of us will wish that we had some of this time back. Not necessarily the situation, but just having that, the the situation is forcing us to slow down and be present. That is so well said. I certainly wish that I would have slowed down. I got to the bottom of this Portuguese and font thing early on. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. Well, please, if you do talk to your uncle Wayne mm-hmm. and uh, also your dad, tell him that you talked to a big Lions fan who was a big <laughs> fan of the Lions during that time. Ashley Fontes, don't call me Fon Comber, <laughs> Vice President. She'll be our president in 2022. Ashley, always enjoy speaking with you. Love these connections as well. We'll always have that to talk about and appreciate you being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Ashley, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Dean. Appreciate it. You did a great job, as always. That is so kind for her to say. I do indeed love my job, and part of the job that I love is spending time with the newest members of the 30 under 30 class for United Soccer Coaches. That's 15 young men and women under the age of 30 that are doing great things in the game around the love and passion of the game. We start that process today as we will meet Kristen Cox and Sean Addison. Sean Addison up next after this message. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. It's that time of the year again, folks, where we get to know each and every member of the 30 under 30 current class. They were recognized at the most recent convention, and now we get to know them. Today, it'll be one male, one female, and kicking it off for our first one is Sean Addison, who is the director of top soccer for the Indy Premier Soccer Club, and he's also a staff boys travel coach as well. And Sean Addison, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, Dean. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I uh, enjoyed meeting all 15 men and women. Again, these are 15 men or women under the age of 30 making a difference in the game around their love and passion of the game. So let's go back to the moment that you learned you were part of this 30 under 30. Tell us what it meant to you. Uh, it was an incredible honor. Uh, I've had some friends in it uh, in previous years and saw the experience that they had and the, the mentor side of the program uh, is a really cool aspect of this program. So uh, when I found out, just excited. Um, it's a great honor. So I was very ready to uh, meet the challenges of the program. Remind me, uh, what uh, was it a friend then that was the inspiration for you to go ahead and apply? Yeah, it was. Uh, he'd been a guy that I coached with uh, kind of when I was starting out, uh, and he's now the head men's coach at Mount Vernon University in Ohio, and uh, his name is Zach Gansberg. Uh, so we had um, we were coaching together at the time when he was a part of the program, so I uh, got to experience that kind of with him and, and watch it, and so it just seemed like something I wanted to pursue. You did a great job mentioning right away that the mentor program part of it was key. So tell us about your mentor and some of the conversations you had with your mentor. Yeah, his name's uh, Jeff Finnell out of Connecticut, and Jeff's been incredible. Uh, it's obviously a really weird time to be – a coach and and we're not really sure what's happening uh with closures and everything and so just been a really good uh person to have in my corner just to talk to bounce ideas off of uh he sends me weekly ideas and articles that he finds so it's been really beneficial to have somebody uh of experience just just to kind of bounce ideas off of and learn from we're here with Sean Addison. Sean, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up. I understand you were a goalkeeper, how you got the soccer bug, and how you ended up at the top soccer indie premier. I grew up in uh, South Bend, Indiana area, and, and ended up playing for two years at a university up there, Bethel College, Bethel University now. They changed the name. And I uh, got hurt when I was playing there, and my former high school coach asked if I wanted to be an assistant uh, under him uh, when my playing career was kind of evident that that was out the window so kind of hopped on there and then four years ago i uh, got a full-time job down at indy premier which is an incredible club in fishers indiana uh and just kind of started that process of of finding my niche in the community uh, and one of the niches that i found was top soccer and Top Soccer, for those of you who don't know, is a program for athletes with physical, intellectual, and emotional disabilities. Uh, so I started Indy Premier's Top Soccer program four years ago with two athletes, and we have grown to over 50 athletes. Uh, and I'm also now the uh, chairman for the state of Indiana for Top Soccer, and I'm on the Midwest Regional Board for Top Soccer. So it's been a fun journey uh, in that regard. If people want to learn more about Top Soccer, and clearly it's very inspirational, how can they learn more, Sean? So if they go to their state association website, most of the state association websites have information on there of how to get involved. For instance, Indiana uh, will put you in contact with uh, one of the – one of the full-time staff members at Indiana Soccer and myself, and we would get you involved. Uh, otherwise, USU Soccer has uh, Top Soccer on their website and kind of the channels that you go through. Uh, they've got the U.S. board um, and then the regional boards, and they can all, all kind of direct you where to go. Sean, if you've listened before, you know I'm all about memories and mentors. Give me your best memory as a player and best memory as a coach, please, sir. Oh man, best memory as a player. Uh, that's a tough one. I gotta go back, go back far. Um, it, honestly, the the memories that I made as a player, just experiences with teammates. Uh, specific memories are hard to pull out. Uh, when I think about my playing career, it's all about relationships that I made, uh, relationships that I have with with teammates still to this day. So it's hard to pick out a moment. I, I think it's. It's all relationships when I look back at my playing career. Uh, and coaching career is similar. Obviously, I've been a travel coach. I've been a high school coach. Uh, but top soccer, again, is probably the best experience as a coach that I've had. Um, we, we get to impact and involve ourselves in the lives of so many different people uh, in that program. And so I think my favorite memory from there is – uh, I had an athlete who was five and 
and he had autism, uh, and we got to kind of teach him up through soccer and in that, and then he graduated to our rec program at Indy Premier and and is now participating uh, just in our rec program. So that was a cool process to see of his comfortability, his excitement, and his joy and love for the game grow and, and be able to, to kind of graduate him on to the next level of his soccer career. Wow, what a great answer on so many ways and so inspirational. When you think about United Soccer Coaches, besides being a member of the 30 Under 30 class, what do you like most about being a member of United Soccer Coaches? Uh, it just connects people. Uh, I've had been to the convention now for four years, which isn't that, that long considering the the vastness of it, but uh, it's it's connecting people with people, and, and that's coaches with coaches, and taking so many people from so many different backgrounds and so many different uh, ways of life and, and connecting them based on soccer. Uh, I'm up to my, I'll be taking, hopefully, my premier diploma in, uh, in July, and just the coaching courses that uh, United Soccer Coaches offered have been so impactful for my coaching career just because they're so relational based and they're they uh take the time to slow down and look at the individual and connect people uh and i've got friends from those coaching courses that i still am able to bounce ideas off today uh just because united soccer coaches does such a good job connecting coaches with other coaches here with Sean Addison, part of the 30 under 30 class for United Soccer Coaches. And, Sean, as you have said, you live right there in Indiana, the Indiana Hoosiers, incredible program, the godfather Jerry Yagley, a legend with United Soccer Coaches. you got Indy 11, led by Martin Rennie. Love the job that he's done. I mean, Indiana really is a big-time soccer state. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, It's got a rich history. Sean, hearing what you do at Top Soccer, so inspirational as we are all dealing with this pandemic in this unprecedented time. What is your message of inspiration for all of us? Yeah, I, I think it's so important to stay connected with people. Uh, I, most of what I talk about is relationships because uh, being connected and having people to talk to and lean on is incredibly important. And we're in a time that it's hard to do that. It's hard to be uh, obviously around people because we're not able to. So uh finding a group of people um a core a core group that you can rely on and talk to uh that's what we're trying to do with our teams where we've got zoom calls and personal meetings and video training sessions everything uh is just about trying to connect with people and and be continue to be a part of each other's lives so uh as much as we can as coaches as players to be connected with our soccer community I think is the best thing we can do right now. Sean, so nice to get to know you. Thanks for being the first of the 30 members we're going to meet here over the next coming weeks. Sean Addison, it was a pleasure. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Dean. I appreciate it. Okay, we wrap up our show by meeting a female member of the 30 Under 30 United Soccer Coaches class, and it's Kristen Cox, head women's soccer coach at East Texas Baptist University, where her husband is the men's soccer coach at East Texas Baptist University. Kristen Cox to wrap up the show when we return. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things, and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. If you listen to this show, this is part of my favorite part of the show because we get to know the current 30 under 30 class. We met them in Baltimore at the last convention. Now we get to know them, and I'm so pleased to be joined by Kristen Cox who last year finished up her first season as the head coach at East Texas Baptist University, which is in Marshall, Texas, where she's the head coach after three years as the assistant. She is due to enter her second year. Knock on wood, we get through this terrible pandemic, and we can play some soccer. She played collegially at Lubbock Christian, and we are so pleased to be joined by Kristen Cox, the head coach, East Texas 
Baptist University. Thanks so much, Kristen. Glad to be here. Yeah, so, yeah, well, we're delighted to have you. And I'll tell you, more and more, we're having 30 under 30 members that are already head coaches at colleges, and you certainly fit that bill, so that's pretty cool. But let's kind of back up the bus a little bit and get to know you. Tell us where you grew up and uh, when you knew soccer was your game. Okay, well, um, I actually was born in Roswell, New Mexico. So, you know, a lot of people know it where the aliens are from, but um, <laughs> I grew up playing uh, soccer there, like, on youth teams when I was, like, three years old, um, and then moved to Lubbock, Texas, and spent most of my life in Lubbock. Um, I've played soccer my whole life. I think I really – I just enjoyed running and being outside and challenges. So I think from really early on, like, five, six years old, like, I knew, like, soccer was my sport. Um, but I loved all sports. So I actually played all sports um, through school, um, basketball, volleyball, ran track. Um, but soccer definitely was the one that I put the most time um, and energy into on the competitive side. Um, got to play for both the New Mexico ODP team, and then my senior year they started this new West Texas ODP team. But uh, being able to play for that New Mexico team growing up was a lot of fun. Uh, competing in Arizona and California and just getting to be in an environment where girls just love soccer and compete all the time. A lot of times we find that people or young women that play multiple sports, that means they have brothers or sisters that are also playing a ton of sports. Is that the case with you? So I have an older brother. He is the one that got me started on soccer because he played it first. Um, and then he played a couple different sports, uh, but didn't stick with them like I did. But he, he tried out the other sports, you know. I always wanted to be better than him at everything, so I tried every sport he tried and then some. And then what about your decision to play collegially at Lubbock Christian? What division is that, and what made you pick Lubbock Christian to play soccer? Yeah, so Lubbock Christian is a D2 school. Um, they're now in what's called the Lone Star Conference. Um, it's one of the most competitive D2 conferences in the nation. Um, and I actually, when I went there, they were at NAIA school. And fun fact, I actually went to Lubbock Christian on a small volleyball scholarship um, and was pursuing volleyball um, heavily because soccer wasn't very big in West Texas and um, didn't know a whole lot of soccer um, just people and connections. And um, But volleyball was big, and so I took the volleyball route my senior year of high school uh, still playing club soccer and pursuing soccer, but um, got a volleyball offer there and took the volleyball offer, um, but then quickly realized that I missed being outside and missed the physical contact of soccer and just being able to, like, just play and run um, rather than being stuck in one position. I uh, still love volleyball, but definitely can say soccer is my sport. Um, but I chose Lubbock Christian uh, just because it was a smaller school. Um, I had a few offers from bigger schools. Um, but I grew up uh, in a private school environment, graduated with 50 people in my high school. So jumping to Lubbock Christian with about 2,000 people was, was a bigger school for me. Um, and I just love that small community. Um, even now where I coach is a small, smaller community, um, just being able to know all your professors, um, most of your classmates and things like that. So I chose it because it was um, a strong Christian university, had great athletics programs, and was at small home family community. I call a lot of women's soccer games, as you may know. So when you played, you were then Kristen Fellows. You got married in December 2018. Now your name is Kristen Cox. If I was calling your games, where would I find Kristen Fellows on the field? You would find her mostly in the defensive line. I played um, mostly outside back my freshman year, which was my sophomore year, but my first year of soccer. Mostly outside back my first year, uh, center back, uh, I'm sorry, and then I actually played forward that second year because one of our outside forwards um, got injured, and I was the next best option for forward, so I played outside wing uh, for my sophomore year, and then my last two years, I played center back. So, But definitely, defense is like my calling, what I love. Um, I do love getting into the attack. Uh, took several of our set pieces. Um, I have a super long throw-in, so definitely... Uh, utilize that long throw in on um, basically corner kicks in, in that area. So, um, yeah, defensive line. Uh, I'd say I probably was one of the one of the taller people on my team. I'm just about like 5'10", 5'11". Uh, so definitely got to utilize that height, the speed, and 
uh, my defensive mindset. Getting to know Kristen Cox, part of our great 30 under 30 class, 15 young women, 15 young men achieving great success under the age of 30 around the love and passion of the game of soccer. So you're rolling along. Here you are, this multi-sport star. Uh, what are you majoring in, and when did you realize you wanted to apply that to coaching? So I actually was not sure what I wanted to major in going into college. Um, so I actually started to enroll as an education major, a math education major, just because I was good at math. Um, and then I decided, hey, like I'll get a degree that I could utilize even outside of the education field. Um, so I went into the business department, and I said, hey, I like challenges. What's the most challenging degree you have? And they told me accounting. So the next day I was enrolled in accounting classes and finished my major in accounting. Um, but by my junior year, I found out that maybe accounting isn't what I love. Even though I'm good at it, it might not be what I love. So I added um, a double major in finance, and I definitely enjoyed that more. Um, and then – here I am, a soccer coach. I don't use my accounting and finance a whole bunch other than, uh, like, personal budgeting and things like that. Um, but I got my master's in leadership from LCU before coming to ETU. Uh, so I finished my master's in leadership, and that has been very helpful just in general, like, leading, uh, being an assistant coach, being a head coach, uh, learning kind of the mindset of followers and leaders. Um, and then ETU blessed me uh, with a scholarship to get a second master's, um, so I actually finished my MBA here at ECU. Oh, that is outstanding. So, but when did you know that you wanted to be a coach, and this is how you wanted to live your life and make a living? Yeah, so I've always loved coaching, um, like coached all through high school as a side job, and then my senior year, um, after I was already done with soccer, and my college coach was like, uh, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, no, I haven't really decided, like, Sitting in a cubicle sounds terrible, doing accounting work all day long. And he was like, well, have you ever considered coaching? And I was like, well, I, like, considered it, but I don't know, like, where to start with that. And he had a friend uh, who was just got hired as the head coach at ETBU, and he said, well, do you want to coach college soccer? And I said, sure. <laughs> he said, it's in the middle of nowhere, East Texas. And I said, hey, as long as it's out of Lubbock, just because I needed to get out of Lubbock, I've been there my whole life. I said, as long as it's out of here, I'm I'm down. So uh, shortly after, I interviewed, had an in-person interview, a over-the-phone interview, and got hired. And I think my conversation with the head coach at the time, Eric Solberg, um, was really just one thing that, like, um, made me realize, like, my love for teaching others um, the sport I love and just being able to share, like, the gospel of Christ through my ministry. And so, like, my job would be my ministry and something that I love. Um, and just our, my conversation with him on why I wanted to be a college coach really, like, sparked that initial, like, wow, this really is, like, what I've always wanted to be and do. And then reflecting back on just my life, being a multi-sport athlete, like, I've had influences in my life by coaches. Like, coaches are my biggest influence in my life. Um, and I want to be, like, those influences. So just, like, those two things together. And then after my first year at ETVU, I just really knew, like, this is where I need to be. Like, this is my calling. Like, I get so much joy from coaching uh, my girls. So That message especially resonates because Mike Lynch, who is the chair of the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches, just did a six-part series about faith-based leadership and faith-based coaching. That's right up your alley, it sounds like, Kristen. Yes, it is. I was also I got to meet him at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore this year, so that was exciting. If you could describe East Texas Baptist University in Marshall, Texas, in your own words, how would you describe it? I would say that it is, um, we always say that the saying, it's the home on the hill. Uh, it's actually the highest point in Harrison County. And I would say ETU is definitely a home, a Christ-centered environment where professors, staff, coaches all truly care about you and a place where you can just grow um, as a person in the classroom and in your prospective athletic um, environment. Um, our school is about almost 50% athletes, so definitely um, a big athlete vibe, and um, it's a great place to be. Um, as an athlete, just because you're surrounded by that community. 
home on the hill. To get to the top of the hill, as you've already mentioned, you need a lot of inspiring people in your lives. As we wrap up our time with Kristen Cox, the head women's soccer coach at East Texas Baptist U and part of the 30 Under 30 program, who are some people you definitely want to mention as helping you make it to the top of that hill, Kristen? Yeah, I think I want to mention my favorite past coach I've ever had. Sorry, other coaches out there. Um, my high school volleyball coach, Coach Tyler Neal. Um, he had just been uh, a mentor for me for all through high school. Um, he is now the principal at my school as well, and he was a national championship uh, winner, I guess winner, at Stanford University for volleyball, and now he coaches at a little private school in Lubbock, Texas, and has his law degree and everything. And just, like, that inspiration, like, being a national championship at a huge level school and having a great degree, but deciding that um, education and coaching um, and pouring into the lives of youth um, is one of the most important things we can do. Um, and while it's not always, like, the best <laughs> money um, or, like, top of the food chain, like, just the impact we can have on people – is amazing, and the impact he had on my life and the leadership lessons he taught me, um, whether it was uh, to be less prideful or selfish at times or to keep pushing uh, to go the extra mile. Um, one thing we always talked about was, like, at, each, at my high school was raising the standard or um, just continuing to push um, and work hard at everything that you do, and he really in, ingrained that in me as a leader and as a coach, and so I definitely have to give props to him. Wonderful answer. As we wrap up our time with you, and you mentioned impact, to be on the 30 under 30, it takes a great level of accomplishment at a young age. As you reflect, what does United Soccer Coaches mean to you, and what does it mean to be part of this great group? Yes, like this has been such a blessing. I applied. I wasn't sure if I would get it or not, but um, being a part of this group is great. Uh, the community that we can build between each our 30 under 30 class and then just all of the mentors, uh, my mentor is Ling at Liberty University. He's been super impactful, like made this experience even that much better. Um, and United Soccer Coaches, uh, even their education programs, I love them. Um, I have my advanced national and working on my premier, but um, just like the way that they incorporate soccer and ideas has just been great, and I love coaching underneath them and using their styles and all of the extra programs and everything that they offer to us has just been a great tool and resource to have.